Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined as always by Chris Bougay. Hey, Chris, how are you? I am excited to be here, Rachel. I can't even tell you how excited I am. What are we talking about today? So a few weeks ago, I got to be a guest presenter at the Ninjistia Conference, the New Jersey Speech and Hearing Association Conference. I know it's a it's a weird one to say. It's like ninja. <laughs> I was like, what is he speaking another language? What is he saying over there? How is why is he slurring his words? It was a fantastic experience. A uh, room full of people that uh, I mean, probably like a hundred to 150 people all chatting about AEC. You know, those sorts of conferences um, are really great for AEC because a lot of the clinicians that come there, a lot of speech language pathologists, they don't think of themselves as invested in AEC. I don't know if that's the right word, invested. Um, maybe maybe there's like people who you and I, like you and I and a lot of our, our Talking With Tech listeners, that do AEC as a large portion of their job, right? And think about it all the time. Where your general practitioner is more like, oh, I do speech-language pathology, oh, and AEC is a part of that, right? As opposed to, I do AAC and, oh, speech language as well, you know? Um, so it's really, it's a great opportunity because you can tell when you're in a room like this, you know, there's probably 10 AAC, you know, aficionados. You know, they've spent more of their time on AAC and they, they know the lingo and they know a lot of the, the concepts already and they're your, your cornerstone in the presentation where you can say something and then they'll shout out something and riff off of it, you know, because that's how these sort of sessions go. You know, when you and I present, it's less you and I presenting, more of a, a, a framework that we have conversations around and then we have a conversation. So any, anyway, one of the topics, you can picture the slide behind me, right, that says um, uh, if res- response is not required, right? And like you always say, and I always call you out and sh- show, it, show it off, you know, what's that famous quote? Inspire, don't require. So in this breadth of conversation about like, look, a student is not obligated to do anything for you, right? They are... Um, uh, you as a speech language pathologist, you as an educator, you as a teacher, uh, you as an administrator, you all had the choice to be in that experience today. You know, you could have chosen a different job at any point. You could choose to, to go off a different and, and take on a different career path. You could have chosen to be sick that day and taken a sick day. You know, maybe it's a personal day or annual leave or whatever it works. You as an adult have a choice to be in that interaction. The student in that experience typically does not have a choice and they are not required to respond to you. There's nothing about that, that that they they didn't sign some sort of agreement that they were going to be there, right? They don't get paid. You hear that sometimes. It's the job of the student to be, no, they don't get paid. There's not a job. They, They didn't get a choice to be there. So their response is not required. So this is sort of the point that is, that has come up in the, in this presentation. And uh, the question that came up in this presentation was, okay, I'm with you. Response is not required. How does our data collection work? What are we collecting data on if the student is not required to respond? Um, And then an eruption of ideas uh, came forth and a lot of discussion came forth. But let me pose that question to you first, Rachel, and and just say, you know, if, if, if the response is not required, what are we collecting data on? So I feel like th- it's a great question. One of the things is that 
just because we don't require a response doesn't mean a student doesn't give us a response, right? Oftentimes, our students are giving us responses. Um, I think that the point of it is, you know, we don't have to require a response. We don't have to do things that would require a response. And in fact, we have to find things that are so motivating and so exciting for students that they're actually intrinsically motivated to respond. Um, so I think that that's, I want to kind of just preface what I'm going to say with that. But, you know, as far as data tracking, I'll, I'll say it now, I'll say it again, I'll keep saying it, we need to track spontaneous language. It's like, what is a student saying on their own? Um, that really is, for me, the barometer for which I look through all the goal targets and all the progress. If a, if a student is you know, not using a lot of the words and targets and vocabulary that I'm modeling spontaneously, then I need to figure out how to go back and provide more support, more motivating opportunities um, to figure out how I can get them to c- communicate more spontaneously, which I feel like is kind of the, the, the biggest challenge in, in the work that I do is figuring out how to support communication partners to elicit um, and facilitate more spontaneous language and more independent communication. So let me, let me just riff off that for a second and say, all right, if you're measuring spontaneous communication, spontaneous, spontaneous language and spontaneous communication. Um, what does the goal look like? Right? I mean, cause that's really the first, in order to answer the question of what data should we be collecting? Uh, the first question has to be what goal should we be writing? Right? So let's talk about that for a second. Well, and this is something that I typically, it, it almost doesn't matter what age the student is, what diagnosis they have. Like I'm almost always writing a goal for independent initiation. In whatever communication modality the student is using, so sometimes we have students who have who are primarily verbal communicators. I just got off a session with a kid who said a lot of stuff that was not understood by a listener. Um, so you know, I think writing a goal for independent initiation is the starting off point because if we have students who are just waiting for us, uh, which is kind of what I also I was going to say is like we can also track. What happens when we do provide a model? Does the student respond to that model? Do they imitate that model? Um, you know, what kind of strategies do we need to employ as the adults around a student to elicit communication in general? So if it's not spontaneous, then like what kinds of things do we need to do in order to scaffold that learning or support for the student? Um, and so I, I feel like Again, we can track the spontaneous language. Uh, We also can track what a student does when we provide modeling. Um, I have a lot of students who, if I model open, they'll say open. If I model go, they'll say go. Um, And when I say say, I mean they could say it verbally. They could also use their AAC. They could use some type of gestural communication. So I feel like, you know, circling back to the goal, independent initiation has to be a foundational skill that we teach students if we can expect all the other things that we're going to build off of to be on a strong foundation. Um, And oftentimes I see kids that can do a whole lot with support, but not a whole lot without it. Um, So that's almost always a goal that I am including in IEPs and in the work that I do. Fantastic. Would you also agree that we're talking about spontaneous 
uh, interactions, right? And those interactions could be language. I mean, that's where we want to be moving. But um, shared gestures might be also a so so you might have a student that has uh, is is not really participating with you at all, and you're just sort of modeling on the side, uh, and you're trying to have a shared experience together. And uh, something that might be movement on their part is that they might have a shared interaction. A they might initiate with you that is not either on the device or verbal, so meaning speak, spoken. Um, it might be some sort of gesture. So they've initiated with a gesture instead of, which could be a growth for a student. Does that sound right? Yeah, and I think what we're doing here is we're not just, we're opening up our minds to all the different ways that students are communicating with us because I feel like oftentimes it's like, okay, well, if they're not using that word, or that target, then they're not communicating, which we know like it's more nuanced than that. And some of our students do need to increase gestural communication um, as a form of initiation before they're ready to use their AAC or a word um, or language. So I do think that breaking that down does make a lot of sense. Um, I also think, you know, teaching communication partners how to observe nonverbal communication and gestural communication and then learn how to model language is how kids actually start pairing when I point or I pull someone to come with me, I actually could use this word, come or go, right? So in that case, so a, a student does do a gesture like grabs or points at something and then you model on the device uh, how you could have said that. So come, go, want, something like that, right? Okay. Um, yeah, and then something else I wonder that could be measured is, uh, let's say a student is is not in this shared experience with you, like is with you for a few moments and then gets up and starts wandering around. I feel like that's a common thing is like elopement. Uh, I don't even know if that's the right word because that makes it sound like you're trying to escape. But let's just say the student is like moving from place to place around the room, uh, it's maintaining uh, uh, attention on something for a few moments and then moves to the next thing, right? And you're sort of following them around with the AAC, sort of just doing parallel talk, right? You're just describing what they're doing and modeling on the device, right? Could another thing that you're collecting data on, again, they're not respired, they're not, I messed it up, they're not um, required to respond or to initiate, really, they're just, you're just being with them. Could it be the measuring the moments, how long a moment is that they are with you? Right, so that um, in a block of 30 minutes, maybe they uh, are with you, at, let's say joint engagement um, over a number of weeks, the moments they're with you might increase from 30 seconds to a minute. Do you know what I mean? And where now we have more engagement time. They're, they're tolerating me being in their world for a little bit longer. I don't know, how does that sound? I think that's perfect. And I think that, again, um, you could even do, you know, turn taking in the sense of, um, you know, a lot of our students love sensory activities. Right. So, you know, having a situation, I was just working with a mom who had her little boy on a swing and, you know, they were having this beautiful interaction where the swing would stop and then, you know, he would look at her 
as a way to say like, hey, push me again. Like that was fun. And they were going back and forth in this beautiful exchange. It had nothing to do with AAC. It had nothing to do with, you know, what word to model there. Although we kind of talked through together, what word could we model as we're having this, you know, interaction. But I feel like that back and forth is a foundational communication skill, right? Um, That's how we teach. Like I communicate something to you and then you actually receive that. And now I'm going to communicate it again. And I'm going to, you know, we're going to go this back and forth. Um, So I think we can, again, focus on more foundational communication skills and the way we would track it could be with back and forth exchanges. I could see, so you know who's jumping in my head right now, right? It's Kathy Howery talking about, um, you know, enjoying the moment, right? Because I could see some people going, oh man, I didn't model at all right there because we were just pushing, we were laughing and having fun on the swing and I never I never got stop and go in there and I should have got stop and go in there, right? And beating themselves up. But no, it's it's about enjoying the, the, the moment um, and, and having that, uh, that experience together. Does that sound fair? Yeah. And literally you're describing the exact experience I had coaching this mom. So she was like, oh, like I just didn't have the device. And there was all this like shame around like the situation. And I was like, you know, it's okay. Like we need to prioritize that exchange and that connection first and foremost, um, because a lot of times our kids have such fleeting attention or interest. It feels like we we don't have many moments like that. Um, And one thing, you know, I'll say also is when we're thinking about training communication partners, yes, like we want them modeling on the AAC system, but sometimes what I'm teaching before I even get to the AAC and the modeling is figuring out what to actually say to that student verbally. Because for example, if you know we're trying to work on go every time we you know open the door and go outside, the first step is mom remembering to use that target language, right? So even if the device isn't there, which part of the challenge with communication partners is, yeah, like this is great, except the device is not here, it's dead, I don't know where it is, we missed the moment, my child just like, you know, ran away as soon as they went to get to the device, there's all these things, like these roadblocks, right? So if we can just train communication partners on thinking and saying, oh, should we go outside or, you know, open if it's a door? Let's open, right? With an emphasis on that target word. Eventually, if they keep practicing that word in that situation, again, outside of the AAC, AAC doesn't necessarily need to be there. Then when we pull the AAC in, they've already started, they already know what word they're targeting. They already know how to model language verbally and emphasize that target word. And so it's kind of like a way to break down the process when you're not seeing a lot of success with communication partners. Okay, but let me tie that to the goal, right? And because what I'm hearing you say is that that's uh, a skill that the communication partner is working on. So in that same breath, would we be thinking that there might be a communication partner goal? Are we talking about in in an IEP setting or just in general? Well, let's just say in general, right? I mean, yeah, I don't know that we would necessarily write a goal on an IEP because the goal is for the student, not necessarily the, but but certainly in your own professional learning experience, I think we call them micro micro uh, resolutions right but having your own goal of becoming better at self-talk parallel talk knowing what words you're going to say in these given situations but that's really thinking about writing your own goal for yourself or writing a goal for the communication partner you're working with yeah absolutely i mean it's 
it's twofold with our kids who use AAC. It's like we have goals for them, but we also have goals for us so that they can reach their goals, right? Because we know that we as communication partners are an integral piece, an essential piece in kids making progress with AAC. And so we need to model the language. And so we need to have ways to keep ourselves as communication partners accountable for the work that we're doing in the modeling front, right? And the scaffolding of support front um, and all of those skills and strategies that we're teaching. So yes, I mean, we're absolutely helping communication partners figure out goals for themselves, um, which is, again, the power of coaching, right? Like that's part of the process when you're working with communication partners um, in a coaching model, at least. All right, another strategy we had talked about in this uh, in this session was the fact that 0% is still data, right? So if a student doesn't use any linguistically, doesn't use the AAC, doesn't use any spoken words, doesn't, like I said, response is not required, inner, a, 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 spoken language is not ex- required, using the AAC is not required. We're supposed to tempt you and show you how to, how to use it and tempt you to use it. But if you don't use it, okay, that's uh, that's okay. That means that you have to be okay with getting a 0% on the data. How do you feel about that? I mean, nobody feels good about 0%. <laughs> but but if we're getting 0%, how can we change the goal to scaffold the learning to actually get progress, right? So if it's like maybe it's 0% with independent initiation or using the, the AAC on their own, but maybe our goal then is to you know imitate a model, Right. Maybe our goal is when given a verbal model like us standing at the door saying go that and putting it in front of the student that they'll then communicate that word. Right. As a way to, again, scaffold the learning so that we can eventually achieve progress. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to me. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, It's sort of like uh, some of the progress that the students we work with make is so incremental that it's hard to measure with uh, just quantitative data all the time. So the other thing I could see is um, making some, thinking it less of data collection and think of it more of evidence collection. And what I mean by that is when you say the word data, everyone thinks numbers. When you say the word evidence, you think numbers plus qualitative. So a student uh, looked at the device longer. Um, The student was laughing while we were participating. You know, um, this, there, he, there was some joint engagement there. I mean, there was there's stuff that you can do to add to the evidence that we are making progress on learning words using AAC. One more thing I'll add, Chris, is we need to get out of the habit with students of only assessing accuracy of language targets, meaning why can't we write a goal for independent initiation and no matter what they put on their AAC or what they select, that is that is the goal, right? Is just getting them to start using the device in whatever way possible. Because I feel like what happens is, you know, we put the device in front of a student and maybe they start just kind of hitting all the words. It's like, okay, well, they're using their AAC. Like, this is progress. And again, it's kind of rethinking the way we see progress and then therefore the way we write our goals. Um, Because sometimes it takes students a long time to kind of hit buttons and listen to what they say. And then for us as communication partners, we have a communication partner goal coming in here, right? Attributing meaning to the things that they're saying so that eventually they learn what those words mean. 
But like so often we're just like, oh, actually, that was not the correct response. Right. Like I'm holding up the train and they said pizza. And it's like so then it's not right. And I'm putting that in air quotes. Right. It's not right because it wasn't accurate. So one of the things I always teach about with early intervention, like birth to three in AAC is we're not thinking about accuracy with a two-year-old. Like we're really just thinking about initiation. So if they do anything with their finger or whatever access method they have, you know, and an AAC system, like that is a win. And so like, how can we reframe the way we think about it? I love it. I love it so much. Okay, well, thank you help for helping brainstorm through this. I hope it helps everyone else who's listening. And uh, that was just one of the questions that came up. And of course, you and I have done some sessions recently too. So there's other things that, that people have asked that I think might be good topics for future conversations in the, in the banter. That said, it's time to roll into our interview today. And guess what it is, Rachel? This is an interview with um, Benjamin Bennett. And so Benjamin had reached out to me because he had been considering the specific language system first approach for adoption in his neck of the woods. And he wanted to sort of see if there was any pitfalls or any um, ways to do it differently or um, just to kind of he just wanted to kind of talk it through a little bit before they actually dove right in and started using it. So I said, why don't we hop on a call and we'll talk through it. And that's what we did. And so that's what everyone's about to listen to is my conversation with Benjamin Bennett. Hey, Talking With Tech audience. How's everybody doing today? I'm Karen Janowski. I'm one of the co-authors of the book Inclusive Learning 365, and I want to share some really exciting news with you. The four of us, Chris, Mike, and Beth, who you all know, have an awesome road trip adventure planned, which will take us from Boston to the ISTE conference in New Orleans. We want to preach the gospel of inclusive learning. If you're a regular listener of the Talking With Tech podcast, you know that reaching all learners is one of the driving passions. Well, we plan to drive that message to an even larger audience, especially general educators who may not be as aware of the importance of inclusive design to help reach every learner. We hope you will join with us on our road trip sponsored by TextHelp and follow along on our adventure with our social media posts. And especially we hope you participate in our huge WISH event. What's a WISH event, you may ask? It's a wonderfully inclusive scavenger hunt, open to anyone, whether or not you are attending the ISTE conference in New Orleans. We do want to be inclusive after all. There will be prizes with a grand prize of an Apple Watch for the person who earns the most points. To learn more, check out our website, inclusive365.com, and follow us on social media with the hashtag #inclusiveroadtoisti. Can't wait to have you join the fun. So Ben, thanks for reaching out. Do you want to talk a little bit about who you are and what you do and why you reached out? Yeah. Yeah, 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 sure. So I'm um I'm the AAC specialist in um Escondido Union School District. Um, we're, we're union school district. We're not a unified school district, um, in my city. Um, we're, uh, you know, mid-sized city in San Diego County in California. Um, about, uh, I wrote, you know, I think uh, about 14,000 students. Um, I, you know, just a ballpark, I'm guessing the high school district is about half of that. Um, so, you know, citywide, I guess we're probably about 20,000, um, 20,000 kids. Um, and 
Yeah, I've been in this role for five or six years now. Um, and, um, you know, I've, I've definitely, um, I was not given this role because of my interest or abilities in assistive technology or AAC. Um, it, it was it was handed to me, you know, because um, what I was told at the time, my ability to handle myself during IEP meetings, um, which has certainly come in handy um, plenty. But, um, you know, since then, um, it's, it's, it's really, uh, I've really learned to love it. I, I came from being um, a bilingual uh, therapist um, and assessor prior to this. And so it's, it's really, um, it's, eerily similar uh in a lot of ways you know it's there's there's not much standard there's almost no standardization and you kind of have to think about you know let the data lead you to where you know where you need to go and so there, there's really more parallels than i ever thought there would be so it's really interesting so well, and then you reached out because of the the specific language system first approach tell us tell me a little bit more about that yeah. So what, what kind of piqued my interest about that was um, I had my sort of semi-annual um, meeting with my admin to sort of justify what I do. And um, I uh, one of the things that my director brought up was what if we just gave um, all the staff, um, you know, our most used app. And um, I had kind of been doing that on the sly with um, extra licenses. Like we, we, we try and take advantage of, of the sales. And so, you know, I'll pick up, you know, a couple years worth um, of projected licenses of different apps. And then if we have spares, I, I kind of slip them to the, the, the staff as, as requested. Um, sometimes I have to take them away if we need to give them to the kids, et cetera. But um, one thing I've been trying for years is to get, a light, at least a license of something to every SLP and case manager um, that works with AAC. So um, she had actually mentioned that to me as opposed to the other way around, which was super encouraging. And so um, our most used app is, um, uh, it's definitely evolved um, since I began. Um, when I first came on, it was uh, ProLoco to go. That seemed to be the um, app of choice of the prior AAC specialist. Um, and as, um, as I learn more and more about the different systems, um, the population that's in this district seems to be best suited in, in most cases to, um, to touch chat. So that's, that's, that's the, that's the overall most used app in the district. And what does the process currently look like, or maybe what has it been in the past to get an individual student access to either ProLoquo or touch chat or whatever that it might be. Yeah. So like I said, I didn't come into this um, role knowing very much about it. So I've really, just like I reached out to you, I've, I've reached out to a lot of colleagues and, you know, different areas geographically and um, just to kind of figure out what this role should look like. Um, and, and, you know, you probably know better than I do. No one really knows. Um, but um you know, one thing that I really did, um, uh, what hit me hard was um, the scalability of it. And so um, what I, the, the position started out as a primarily evaluative position. So I was going and doing all the evaluations and saying, here, here's the, here's the best fit for this kid 
go, you know, and um, that wasn't working well as you know, I, I know I'm preaching the choir, you know, yeah, but, no, that's the story. That's exactly yeah. the story that I have too. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, um, you know, I, uh, the, the, the local County, um, AT team, um, I, I did a, a lot of conversations with them and they have a more, um, con- they have a considerations model. And so, um, that's, that's where we have really gone. Um, and so I, you know, last, I think it was last year, I really pitched this to admin and I said, listen, you know, the, the evaluative model just does not really scale and I'm a bottleneck and, uh, you know, I, I really think we should start thinking about the considerations model. It really takes, it takes the, um, not necessarily the responsibility, but the, um, I don't know, uh, the power, like it, it, all the decision-making, it, it really gives it to the team that works with the kid. Mm-hmm. And because I'm not working with the kid, it, it, it doesn't make a ton of sense for me to be more than a consultant. And so that's really, if I had my say, I would change my title from specialist to consultant um, because I, I really feel like that's really what my job should be. But um, whenever I start a presentation, I say I'm the AAC specialist, but I hate that title. I'd much rather think of myself as a facilitator. Like I facilitate the discussion of that team to get them to the place that they need to be. Like if they get stuck, I facilitate it to say, okay, let me ask you another question to keep going, you know, to land on what you need to land on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and just to, you know, just to actually answer your question from before, I mean, really what it looks like in that consultative model is, um, you know, I get a referral um, and, you know, everything's up online in our district, but usually it's, you know, it's an email or a phone call or an instant message or whatever. Um, I get a referral and I have them sort of just do some brief paperwork. Um, we have a, it's called AT considerations form. Um, and they, you know, they, they tie it to the IEP and they say like, why is this kid not meeting their goals? Um, you know, is it tied to technology or communication technology in any way? And, um, we talk it through and then we decide as a team on a system to trial. Um, so instead of saying like, okay, here's the three things we're going to try within a short period, we start with one for a period of, you know, arbitrarily, we usually say about four weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after the four weeks, I follow back up with them. I give them kind of a survey and I say, is, you know, is it working? Is it not? Um, 80 plus percent of the time it works, you know? And so we just kind of solidify it in the IP and in the, you know, special factors page is what we use. And, um, and then it's, you know, and then, and then it's done and then it's in the IP and we can, we can kind of be nimble and shift systems if we need to. And, um, so we're a one-to-one district, so it's pretty easy. Um, we've got stacks and stacks of iPads in the, you know, in the tech department. So, you know, getting new iPads to kids is not, uh, it's not hard. Uh Uh Um, just to clarify something there, the way, the way you said it, um, about 80, are you ballparking that or do you actually have data like, like, actually, let me go look. Cause I wonder if it is 80 or if it's even higher than that, you know, I, I, I speculate, I am speculating. I have no idea, but uh, I, I just think oftentimes in the consideration model, like how, how wrong are you? Do you know what I mean? Right. Like usually the team gets it right. You know? Yeah, they usually do. I mean, you're, you're, you're probably correct. I mean, it's, it's probably closer to, you know, 90, 95, but I, we just started the considerations model as sort of a de facto, you, you really need to do this. Um, this year. So um, I haven't 
I don't have that data, but I absolutely could look at it. It's, it's a really interesting point. So I, I should I should kind of put that on paper somewhere for my next justify my job uh, conversation <laughs> next year. Um, okay, so and so that's how a student would get a tool. But now mm-hmm. you're talking about a shift to that because the considerations model, the way you're making it sound and the way it sounds like it is, is that each individual student, a team would come together and make a decision about what um, the student needs. Uh, and then then you would get them that thing. But what, what you're considering now is not always doing that. Is that fair? Um, I think we're considering a layer sort of beneath that. And so, you know, I think that right now, I mean, so one of the, you know, I've I've been thinking a lot about this and and one thing that's happened is that the um, system first approach has really kind of organically happened at a couple sites um, because it makes sense for the kids, the teachers know it, the SLP knows it and likes it. And so, um, I'm, I've really seen it work well. And so what I'd like to do is extend that sort of um, um, environment to other sites and, and ideally district wide. Um, my only concern, like, you know, like we mentioned before is, um, you know, what sort of checks and balances can I put in or sort of safety nets to make sure that you know, some of those um, drawbacks that, you know, I, I, I put in that document that we, we shared, some of those drawbacks may be minimized. I and mean, I don't expect this to be a perfect system or perfect rollout, nothing is, but um, I think that one of the things is um, just sort of mitigating, you know, pre-mitigating, I guess, if, if that's even a term, um, uh, some, some things that could go wrong. And um, so I'm not considering throwing out the, the process altogether. We still have to have that individualized sort of, you know, thinking. And 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 I and I always encourage, you know, the SLPs or or if they're not comfortable, I'll do it to, um, you know, do like some sort of uh, symbol assessment. Um, we always look at their cognition to see like how symbolic they are, you know. So so we really look at a lot of these things and you know what what level of technology works. But having that, and we do have a couple classes that are already like this, having that really tier one, I guess, layer of um, everyone's got something um, is going to be huge. Um, we, we have something like that already with, um, we, we use Project Core Low Tech um, in, in most every, um, we, we call it Mod Severe um, classrooms. We have, we have Mod Severe and then we have, um, SCSB, I can never remember what that stands for, but it's, um, you know, structured behavior, social, I, I can't remember, but anyways, it's, you know, it's the children with, you know, ner- ner- the non-neurotypical kids, basically, um, they, who need really like that, you know, tight structure throughout the day. Um, almost every classroom has those project core boards and they've been trained and aided language input and, you know, everything. So um, we've got something like that with low tech, but, you know, I mean, just the way things have gone, not only the past few years with everyone getting one-to-ones, but just in general, I mean, how many kids grow up not playing with their, with their mom's phone? You know, I mean, everyone knows how to use a touch screen. Everyone does use a touch screen. And so I think moving from, from low tech to high tech is just, 
it just needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think there's some evidence to suggest that with the motor planning, changing where the words are. So um, starting with a robust system right out of the gate, if you can, then you don't have to relearn where those words are. So that yeah. seems to make a lot of sense there. Um, something you said that kind of struck me, and I wanted to ask you a little bit deeper about it, is that it sort of grew organically in some of these classrooms. And then you said, um, I think you said, uh, and it's working well. What does that, what does working well mean? Well, it's working well in that, you know, like I said, when I, when I came on, um, Prolo Cortigo was definitely the app choice, but there was so much device abandonment throughout the district. Like it, it has just taken me years and years to get, you know, to a place where we're thoughtfully giving kids systems from the ground up. Um, and with, with this particular site that, that I, that I have in mind, um, the, the referrals are coming, you know, all the time from, from the teachers and the SLPs. And that's important for me because I would say, you know, I'm, you know, again, I'm going to ballpark, you know, 90% of the time they come from the SLPs. Um, and, and I like it when the, you know, now the teachers in those classrooms, they, they know, they know AAC, they know the system. Uh, that they currently use is touch chat. They know a couple more, but you know, that's definitely their, their Mm -hmm. go-to. And so when I say it's working well, I mean, I can see, you know, I go in the classroom and I see, you know, six out of 10 kids with, with tablets who are, who are actively using them independently. And, and that's, that's the key. And and I'm seeing the paras use them, um, paraprofessionals. And, and I mean, it's just, it's, it's a really, you know, it's a, it's a good team. Now that's, that's key. Um, but it's also, um, I, I feel like it's a bit of a snowball effect, you know, it's as you, as you get more people, um, on the same page and it just becomes normalized. There's not the one kid who, you know, can't really communicate unless he's got his talker out, you know, it, it, it just, it really becomes normalized. I mean, we, there's a, it's a mod. Yeah, they're two mod severe classes. And so there's a very, a very good range of disabilities. So we've got kids with autism, we've got kids with Down syndrome, we've got kids, you know, with just, you know, ID, just all using systems, verbal, nonverbal, minimally verbal. So it's really, it, it, it's just, it's just a good approach. It's, it's really nice. Yeah, it just is how we teach now. It's embedded into how we teach as opposed to uh, a tier three support that only one or maybe two students uh, have access to. Um, and and sounds like if I'm summarizing what you said correctly, that um, uh, there's 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 greater use across the board uh, and everybody just feels more comfortable with what they mm-hmm. need to do. Um Okay. So, so, all right. So what you're talking about then is still extending it, but then you, you reference this Google doc, um, that, uh, if, if I'm going to try and summarize where that came from, right. Is that yeah, sure. you, um, posted to AAC for the SLP, like, Hey, tell me about the specific language system first approach. And of course you go on Facebook, people have opinions, right. And so they listed out some pros. There was some, certainly some, some people who have tried it or who have been thinking about it or using it, had some opinions. And then other people, um, had their thoughts and you made a Google doc sort of summarizing the comments. Um, is that fair? Is there, is there another way to, to describe that? No, yeah, that, that's it. I mean, that's for me, that's going to be a longer running doc, but I mean, I, I, I just kind of like to keep all my thoughts in one place, but um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's about, that's about where it is now. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, 
Well, do do we want to talk about? I mean, where do you want this conversation to go? Do you have specific? Well, questions? I guess you know. I guess what I'm what I'm wondering is, you know, I presume you've had some experience with this, um, and so my question is, what um, what has worked well, and maybe what hasn't, and you know, if I am to roll this out, which you know, it's looking increasingly like I'm at least going to do it, at least broaden what what's you know what's what exists at a single site maybe district-wide i don't you know i haven't really thought that far into it um you know what do i need to really start thinking about um now because you know education is a you know it's a cruise ship you know things are things are not going to happen you know next week so I need to start thinking about like training dates for the fall and, you know, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm already kind of thinking, I'm already thinking about spring of next year, you know, because I know, I know how things tend to move. Um, So that, yeah, I guess that's really what, what my question would be to you is, you know, what, what have you seen, maybe not work well. And um, I mean, that, that would be a a really interesting thing and, and what has worked well, you know, in terms of aspects of, 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 a, of a rollout like this? or Yeah, well, so that's an excellent question. Well, let me, at, the, at the risk of answering a question with a question, let me ask, what are your concerns? What are you, uh, what would you anticipate might go wrong? Well, I think one of the, a couple of the concerns from that um, uh, discussion on, on Facebook and, and the, within the doc is um, that um, there could be a, um, you know, uh, heavy hand, there could be a lack of individualization, right? Um, you know, we, we'll, we'll get a classroom where, you know, everyone's like, I know the system and, you know, that's just what we have to use or even extending that further, a kid comes in from another district or, you know, another school, um, and has a different system and they're like, well, we don't know how to use that one. So we need, we need that kid to have our system because this is what we use in this classroom. That's a concern of mine. Would you anticipate, you know, these teachers that you're currently, cause I'm going to, I, I think less, a, yeah. a barrier is going to be turnover, but maybe you've, maybe you've escaped the great resignation. <laughs> you know, maybe your teachers are happy and they're staying um, or they will next year. Um, do you anticipate the teachers that actually being a, a concern that they would go, yeah, no, we're not using lamp words for life. Uh, we're a touch chat school. You know? Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm anticipating a little bit of that. Um, I don't anticipate, you know, pitchforks or anything, but, um, I, I definitely, I, I mean, I've seen it, right. Like someone came in with lamp, um, to, um, you know, a, a program that, that had been using mostly touch chat and, you know, they, they had a hard time with it. Um, and that's, you know, hard time is fine, but, um, you know, there, there were discussions like, well, maybe we should just, you know, try out touch chat and see how that works. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But again, I mean, that's my concern is that like, like this child knows that system, they're good with that system. And then we're, we're changing the students needs based on our own, uh, experience. So that, that is, a, that's just a concern. And, and I don't, I don't want to like throw the baby at with, throw out the bay with the bathwater, you know, and just say like, well, something bad may happen. Let's not do it at all. Um, but I do, you know, but like I said, I, I do want to be prepared for potential um, hiccups or, you know, roadblocks. 
Yeah. Let's talk about that situation. Cause I think that's a, like a, okay, it's a real thing that happened. Right. Yeah. So um, sometimes when we have these conversations, my experience has been, so a student has, has come in with a thing already chosen and the new team or any team might look at it and give some sort of subject, subjective opinion. Like it's working well, or it's not working at all. Or, um, and again, there might not even be some data around it. It's just, I hear these subjective comments, you know, oh yeah, it's working great. Well, what, what does working great mean? You know, or um, in, in very much the way I, I, I asked you, you know, what does working well mean? Mm-hmm. Um, what does it, what is the student really doing with the AAC? So in this example, student has come in with Lamp Birds for Life. If um, my, ex- my experience with that particular system has been, if someone has not really shown you the, uh, I always use the matrix as an example, but if someone hasn't given you the red pill, you know, or maybe it's the blue pill, whatever, you don't see th- that in unity, those, those systems, you don't see the patterns that are there and the design of why it's there. It's a little bit, you can't just pick it up and start of figuring it out. Um, it just looks like someone puked up a bunch of words and they're randomly placed, but they're not, mm-hmm. there's, there's a logic behind it. And as soon as someone points that out, oh my gosh. But my point being is, was the kid really using it? Like, was he effectively using it? Cause if that's the case and then we're like, Oh no, I, uh, then it becomes to me, it's a training issue. Well, we got to teach you more about lamp words for life because you didn't understand it. If the kid is again, well, I'm going to put in air quotes, using it effectively, whatever that means. <laughs> would you, would you put him in that category as like, he was, uh, independently creating multi-word utterances using lamp with very minimal prompting or something, even minimal is subjective, but you know. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's good. Um, and then I guess my other concern would be um, that, you know, and this is, this is sort of um, a narrow concern, but my other concern would be that um, because it's touch chat and touch chat has like a million different vocabulary files that, you know, it, it doesn't get rolled out with, um, consistency. And so it really, um, it doesn't happen the way it was intended, right? Like we have, you know, some programs that love the multi-chat and other programs that love, you know, word power 60 or whatever. So, um, and, and I guess that's okay. I mean, that's not like the end of the world if that happens, but, um, the symbols are the same and it's, you know, it's, I don't know, expand of like it's multi-chat and work power kind of different beasts. But um, at the end of the day, I just, I do want consistency so that, you know, like, you know, like common core, right? Like we want to, we want a kid that that can move from, you know, location to location, um, I guess within our district anyways, um, and be able to say like, okay, this classroom uses, you know, work power 42. And so this, you know, and when he goes to another program, like from, you know, elementary to middle or whatever, then they, they have word power 42. So that is another slight concern of mine. But again, I mean, I, I don't know if that's a huge um, game changer necessarily, because it's, it's not much different than it is now. Um, yeah, I like how you put that. It's a narrow concern. The, I think the bigger concern would be people when they transition from one setting to another, when a student transitions from one setting to another, are they 
effective communication partners, meaning do they know how to model? Do they know which words to focus on and teach? Are we working on literacy? Those are skills that transcend whatever the tool is that you use. And, um, and the tool would support those. So I, I feel like that's where the, the training, no matter what tool you use, it's going to fall by the wayside or not be used effectively if you don't, if you're not good in those skill areas. So, um, yeah. I feel like that's the bigger concern rather than, well, the student was in this one environment and now they're going to another environment. If they were in that previous and that new environment is less familiar with the system. Um, well, the previous environment is responsibility is to get them as is so effective at it that -hmm. it wouldn't even enter the realm of the next environment that we need to change this right like yeah they're you they're again i'll put it in quotes they're functional users of it they use it all the time i would never think of taking it away you know be like a a student opening a chromebook and being like the kid's flying on this chromebook and he's writing essays no we know we use apple products here give him a a mac (laughs) you know what i mean well why would we give him a mac he's doing great on the chromebook you know Yeah. And, and that's another thing that, I mean, you know, I've talked about my concerns with it, but, you know, just to kind of shift the, the, the tone a bit. I mean, I, I do think it's a, I do think in my, you know, in my gut, I I feel like it's, it's, it's really um, an effective way to give access to communication because at the end of the day, you know, I mean, I, you know, I have a, like you just said, right. Like I have a Mac, um, in front of me, I have a PC at home. Um, I use an Android phone, but my wife uses an iPhone. Like it, it's, you know, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm platform agnostic. I, I, right. I mentioned it, you know, another point. Now, now I understand that, you know, cog- cognitively, like I'm, you know, average and that's probably in large part because of that. However, I don't know necessarily that, you know, getting that narrow with, you know, with symbols or, or things like that has that much of an effect. And, and, and there may be studies out there that, that I don't know about that have looked at those things, but I, I, I do wonder if, you know, how much difference does it actually make if you're going from, you know, this, you know, this system to that system for a child, you know, and, and I, I know a lot of people would totally disagree with me on that, uh, on, on that point, but, and that's fair, but, um, well, let's, let's talk about it for a second. So that motor planning is going to be uh, uh, really significant. So if student has been practicing for uh, a while, again, that's subjective, but uh, time and people have been modeling and the student starts using it, we don't want to necessarily change where those words are. Um, we want to keep those that location consistent so you don't have to relearn it, right? And um, uh, so I think that is significant. That said, a way to address the concern if someone if someone on the team uh, says i think we're talking about changing systems um, that can happen from the specific language systems approach or it can happen from an you've chosen an individual you've gone through an evaluation it's sort of a wash there the answer is still your consideration guide strategy right okay Ah, it sounds like we're thinking like a big thing here is changing someone's aac why don't we get a, a considerations guide uh, meeting together, a considerations meeting, and we'll go through this process of considering um, why we want to make this change. Should we make this change? Um, what factors come into play when we change someone's system? And then I'd also adding to that, like that the approach is the same either way. You're going to have a considerations meeting is 
I always like to think, which foot do you lead in the dance? The foot that we lead in this dance is let's lean into not changing the system. Somewhere along the way, someone made a choice uh, and that this was this was the thing. Um, let's lean into respecting that and not changing the system unless we absolutely have to change the system. Um, right. Because someone's getting minutes of exposure to that system and time spent in that system. So only change it if, you know, if you need to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think, I think it's a, I think it's a really, um, it's a really good, uh, well, I think the point that you're making is that strategies trump tools, you know, I mean, I, I, yeah. I think, and, and I agree with that. And I've been, I have been, one thing I noticed lacking when I came on as in this position is there was uh, little to no parent training. Um, and, you know, that has been a huge initiative of mine. I, I offer at every, every IP meeting, like, you know, are you using it in a home? How's, how are things going? Do you, you know, you want a training refresher? You know, do you, you know, obviously with new, new people, I, I'm a little bit more aggressive about training the parents, but, um, they don't all take me up on that offer. Um, and, uh, and now what, what we've been doing in, in the district is really training, um, uh, training teams, um, in just, just AAC, um, foundations. And so, um, you know, it's, it's really, um, things are, you know, things are really capacity is building. Yeah. Um, and so I, I really think that, um, with a, you said it in your blog post. I mean, I think that when you, uh, provide a system, right. When you, when you take that out of the equation and, and there's always going to be individualization, but when you take that first step out of the equation, you really can focus more on, um, you know, teaching teams how to do aided language and, um, you know, s'mores or, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever approach you take with, with the teams. Um, you know, I think, I think that's, that's the key. I mean, the key is, the key is the team as opposed to, um, you know, it, it's a village, right? Like there's, you know, that there's that quote somewhere that says like the, by the time a kid's 18 months old, they're exposed to over, uh, I don't know, 4,000 hours of language yeah. instruction. Jane Corston. <laughs> yeah. They have to be 84 years old before they get, you know, get exposed to that. So I use that all the time in, in my trainings and I'm like, you know, you can't just send a kid to speech and, you know, expect them to, to learn AAC. Like this is a good, it's really more about the teacher and maybe even more about the para and maybe even more about the parent, you yeah. know? And so I, I think that that's, that's the key, you know, like you said, strategies, transcend tools. So. One of the important aspects of the specific language system first approach that I think mis- gets misinterpreted sometimes is that it means there is no tier three, like right. you're only doing tier one, but that is, it's a, it's, it's still, you still have tier three. You, there will be kids that that system is not right for, you know, touch mm-hmm. chat will not be the right system for every kid. There'll be certain ones um, for whatever reason that they'll need something else, maybe because they came from a school district that was using Lampwords for Life as their specific language system. First, they moved here and now they'll be using Lamp- Lampwords for Life and they, they have they are using it uh, um, effectively. Again, I put that in quotes. What does that mean? But they're, they're saying whatever they want to say, however they want to say it using this tool. Don't take it away from them. That's a tier, tier three. But because the staff knows how to model and they know how to um, instruct the child, they'll just feel more comfortable. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, I think, like I said, hopefully if I can get this rolling with enough, um, with enough, uh, sort of checks and balances, then I can really focus more on, you know, training the teams and, and, you know, and, and, and taking on those individual tier three cases, you know, one at a time. I mean, you know, they're not going to go away, nor should they. Um, no. And then maybe you even have, um, more time to focus on them. I mean, let's, uh, when you have a backlog of, uh, referrals that are coming into you, your time, you only have so many minutes, you know, there's an opportunity cost when you're spending time and there might even be, if we were guessing of what could happen, there could be people out there when you have this referrals that are like, well, I have so many, I'm just going to, uh, let's just do this, you know, without the proper consideration, you know, not really spending the time. Um, so, uh, I think it could go both ways that way. Um, so freeing up your time to do focus on those tier three and making sure it's proper consideration, um, so that you're not just doing a consideration like, okay, this is a direct selector that is, uh, that is, I don't know what it's kind of fits the standard mold of what most of our other students, uh, do we need to really do it an individual assessment to try something? Right. Not necessarily even saying well, this is it. We're just going to try this first. And then we move from there. Right. You know? Um, how much time is wasted for that kid if you were wrong and how wrong are you going to be? I just don't, just don't see it happening very at, at all really. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I think that's right. That's the key. I mean, and, and I think that one of the, one of the things that's really hard for me to convey to some parents, some staff is just that, you know, we just, we're, we're not a medical model, you know? And so, you know, we are, you know, an educational model and, and, and really, I think RTI and TSS really in, encapsulates that, that idea, you know, like you have something for everybody. If that doesn't work, you, you make, you know, you narrow it a little bit, you know, it's, it's very, you know, pyramidal and, you know, in, in its, uh, in its approach. And so I, that, that's why, you know, I, why, you know, I know MTSS is, you know, a gen ed thing, um, but it doesn't have to be. Well, I mean, it's funny. The, the, the approach itself, I mean, it was designed for Jeanette, if I'm not mistaken, but it, at the end of the day, it doesn't have to be. I don't see why, you know. So here's an interesting thing, because I, 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 you might be referencing that because that was mentioned on the Facebook group, right? Um, students with disabilities, special ed, are general ed first, right? So MTSS does not exclude special ed, right? It's right. Des- MTSS is designed for everybody, right? Right. everybody, including special ed. So there's, and, uh, you know, like in the blog post says, and like I said before, there's so many other examples of things that started out as tier three and have moved this way, mm-hmm. move this way as well. Emojis, gifts, you know, we are all using um, uh, stuff like that in communication. So let's, knowing that model, let's just do it faster, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, again, I mean, the model itself is pretty universal, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you start out with something for everyone and when it's not working, you, you know, try something a little bit more specialized. And if that's not working, you, you do a deep dive and figure out what the heck's going on. Let me ask, you said you were a one-to-one district and it sounds like your iPads, you have yeah. iPads, right? So yeah. Do you have students that, for whatever reason, can't use the iPad and they get a different device? Uh, not um, for communication purposes. I mean, for for just learning, you know. 
Um, Vision students, maybe, for instance, they need Yeah, I mean, we have, you know, yeah, I mean, we have some kids who, um, you know, maturically um, aren't direct selectors. Um, we have, um, you know, we don't, I mean, we have some kids with, that came with dedicated devices, like from, from insurance. Wait, um, let me ask the question again in a different way. Yeah. You're sure, one-to-one sure. iPads for just learning, right? Mm-hmm. So if there are oh. like, so every kid would gets an iPad, right? Yes. But if there are certain kids, let's say someone who um, has a visual impairment that needed mm-hmm. an iPad pro, not the standard iPad size that you got, you know what I mean? Yeah. Does that happen? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we can individualize. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the way that, we're, I mean, we, we don't, we don't load the AAC apps onto the educational iPads. Like if right. we have a kid, if we have a kid who requires, um, they're you know, who requires a dynamic display speech generating device they get a dynamic display speech generating device that is ha- that happens to be an ipad so right. um and so they, they'll have two right they get the, the one for the schoolwork and then they get the one for um you know aac for communication and so our, our tech team is really really good and you know i work with them a lot and what we've done is um you know our 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 most recent initiative has been to essentially take off every single app except for um, the AAC app and, and the settings and the camera. And so, um, it, you know, I know everyone really advocates, um, uh, um, I can't remember what's it called when you lock an app into a- um, Guided access. Guided access, yeah, sorry, couldn't think of that. When uh, everyone advocates that, and I do too, but, you know, kids get out of it, uh, parents forget, some parents, like to use the iPads, you know, like I, I get in and, and kids too, of course. And so um, what I, uh, what I've done with tech is trying to make it boring. And so, um, you know, when, when they get out of the app, there's nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. And so um, it really has, become, you know, and I get a different case, you know, and all that. So it really becomes a different tool. Um, but, it, but also, yeah, we have different sizes. I mean, and um, I, we have, we don't have any kids with eye systems. Um, we, we've never really come across that. Um, that may be an issue um, at some point, but we just don't have any. And we definitely have some low gaze systems, mm-hmm. uh, low tech gaze systems. Do you have maybe do you have students that their only disability is vision? Yes. Not communication. Right. And so might they use a different, uh, again, to my point, it wasn't really about AAC. It was just right. about other students with disabilities might not be able to fit into the one-to-one iPad model. Sure. So they, we, we, we use a tier three approach, right? Okay. So this student gets something else. Right? Um, right. Yeah. Ben, can I ask you something else too about the symbols? So um, just to bring us back to that point, the, Something that I find people get confused about with symbols is we, we, the adults, typically are literate. So we can see the text underneath the symbols, right? Mm-hmm. But a, a fun little experiment to do with your, with your, the staff that you work with is to take off the text and mm-hmm. guess what the symbols are, 
right? Um, That's good. <laughs> usually you can't figure out, I don't know what this word is. It could be like nine different things. I don't know, right? And it really drives home the point that we have to teach what these symbols are, right? That, that in the same way that out the alphabet are just squiggly lines until someone teaches us that this, this, this symbol gives, makes this sound, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And this other symbol makes the k sound, uh, then we associate meeting with it. Same thing with picture symbols on communication devices. So in a, I, I, I like to say that the symbols don't matter as much as we think they matter. You know, yeah. they, they, they matter because we can use them to teach what the words mean. But, um, but there's uh, sometimes an overemphasis on, well, we got to pick the right symbol set. Well, well we got to teach whatever the symbol set is. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, and I try and tell that to, um, you know, to staff when, when, uh, when choosing a system to like, it could be, you know, PCS or, um, symbol sticks or whatever. Um, you know, it, it I don't think it, the, the illustration itself doesn't really matter to the kid. And I, and I would argue, and, and I, I want to say I read a study about this, but I, I can't recall it. So I don't want to, I don't want to quote myself on that, but you know, um, that even the, even the, um, Fitzgerald approach doesn't seem to matter that much to the kids. Um, it's really better for the adults that use the system. Um, but the kids, they just, I don't, I don't, I haven't really, I, unless it's instructional and, you know, you say you're looking for a blue one, you know, I, I haven't really seen the Fitzgerald approach really boost kids um, learning necessarily so well let's talk about that for a second it's this i think it's similar to the symbols in that it can help if someone teaches it so imagine all the green ones are verbs they're actions you know here's what actions are and you use it like you said and not kind of waiting for the student to see if they're going to figure it out but mm -hmm. we teach it explicitly this color equals actions you know yellows are pronouns that's like people, you know, and, and, and you use that to, and do little plays like, you know, finger puppets, like I, you, and we have the symbols and see how it's yellow. So, you know, it's a pronoun, like those sorts of instruction are choosing to teach that yellow means pronouns and green means, um, but I don't, I, green means verbs, but you just don't see that very frequently. You know, I, you don't see that people are actively, and if you're doing it out there, people's listening, good for you. We need more of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and just and just circling back around too. I mean, I think that's part of why this is such an appealing rollout for me is because I do want to spend less time, um, you know. I want teams to spend less time focusing on, you know, is it this app or that app, and you know, and, and you know, just just try it, and you know, if if they pick it up and they're doing well with it roll with it and then really focus on teaching it um don't focus on you know what you know the the kind of back and forth that we sometimes do with um with system selection and 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 again i mean there there are there are so many kids out there that you know like if i'm if i have a kid who really needs a a, a they're, they're maybe like verbal, but, you know, maybe they have autism and they can't, you know, they're not like super verbal and they just need really like that vocabulary, uh, huge um, vocabulary growth. And Proloquo is a better choice, in my opinion, because, you know, they have a, you know, they have a much better like um, organizational uh, semantic organization, you know, in, in, in my in my opinion. But um, um, 
as opposed to, you know, I don't know, touch chat, which is more, you know, predictive, I guess, uh, in its grammar. But um, so, you know, there's always going to be those kids. But in, in general, like, I, I really want to shift the focus to to the strategies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the do you have any other concerns that uh, we haven't touched on today? I don't think so. I mean, you know, I was just reading that um, that thing I put together. Um, I mean, I guess this isn't really so much of a concern as one thing that I really want to think about is um, um, demonstrating after a period of time, whether or not this is working. And so um, that's something that um, I'm starting to think about. Um, in, in a way, um, I'm doing that already. Um, I just I just sent out a survey district-wide um, to get some just real baseline information about every existing AAC user. Um, things like, you know, what percentage of their day are they um, being exposed to, a, you know, aided language input? Um, what percentage of their day do they have line of sight to, um, you know, visuals in, in the classroom and, you know, things like that. And I think it's like a quick five, six question survey um, that I'm asking everyone to fill out uh, about every AAC kid. So it's a, it's a big and bigger endeavor, but, um, you know, I'm even thinking about narrowing it to, you know, maybe a couple pilot teams that I know, like, aren't doing well with AAC or, or are doing really well with AAC and, and just kind of seeing like what, what, you know, some pre and post data, um, you know, what, what's happening. So that's, you know, if you got any ideas, I'm, I'm, I'm all ears, but in general, um, you know, I, I think just general usage is, is, is what, what the goal is. Right. So, yeah, I think, I think you're in a good spot there thinking about the, the, how often the student has access. I think, there's a way to talk about all the students there, not just the AAC users, like meaning the kids that absolutely need it. Like you were saying, it's now becoming kids that just um, are using it as an instructional tool to help them learn language faster who are speaking, you know, or primarily using speech as their primary form of expression, you know? Um, So I think, I think that makes a lot of sense measuring the minutes. I could see, um, it's really hard to isolate all the variables. So you're building a picture here. Something else you might measure is the number of referrals. Have those gone down? And have I been able to increase the number of minutes that I've, that uh, I'm doing training, right? Or doing some sort of coaching, uh, but some sort of professional learning have, has that increased? Um, I think you could um, also measure the, that same thing. How many minutes are people participating in consideration meetings has that gone down so that frees up more time for their professional learning you know that's certainly an issue i've been hearing nationwide burnout when it comes to um professional learning because they're spending too much time on stuff they don't uh uh, they don't really want or need you know forced forced family fun forced education education. (laughs) do i really need to learn this um but that's eating into the time for stuff like this, where they, man, this learning about this stuff could really help me, you know? Um, So freeing up their time that way, saying, okay, if you had less time working on consideration meetings and that gives you more time to do professional learning um, and you feel more supported that way. So I think those are uh, factors that could also be measured about, you know, whether it's working. Cause I don't know that there's a way to measure exactly you know you're just going to building evidence that it's working or that it's that it's not you know i would also just to be be, 
to, to, to be on both sides here is to look at, okay, did we have a situation where, how many conversations did we have about changing the app? Um, but a student was, again, and whatever, what's your measurement for using it effectively? But we thought the student was using it effectively. They came in with data showing that they were using it effectively. How many mm -hmm. conversations did we have about that? You know, is it one, two, or was it like, no, it just, it just keeps coming up as a, as a plague for us. That might be something that you'd have to come back and to the table and think about. I just don't think it's going to happen very often. You know, it's a, it's a fear people have, but I just don't think it happens very often. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't think it happens often as often now as it used to because of the consideration model implementation. I think that's really, you know, having that discussion beforehand and saying like, this is a good fit for that student because um, is really helpful. And like I said, I mean, I, I mean, I, I have the numbers somewhere. I, I don't have them in front of me, but I, you know, probably a good 60, 70% of our, our, our um, kids do use touch chat. Um, and, th and that has been a very organic process um, over the years. And it's just kind of leaned in that direction. So I think that's, um, you know, that's, that's definitely um, helped with, shifting, you know, uh, tasks and responsive and team responsibilities. So the other thing you might consider with measuring again, the effectiveness is using some sort of language assessment on a sample size, maybe all, but a sample size in our neck of the woods, we couldn't find, uh, something that fit for us. I mean, the communication mix is great, but we got a little pushback from teachers that it took too long to complete. And then I would say like, yeah, but it's a student's language. Can we spend the time on it? But still, it was what it was. There wasn't a lot of buy-in around it in my neck of the woods. Other people have adopted it, and that's a that has been a good measurement. So we created something called the COAL, the Communication... Um, uh, oh, sorry, the Continuum of Language Expression. I blanked out there for a second. The Continuum of Language Expression, which essentially is we looked at, uh, it was me and a couple other speech therapists and some preschool teachers looked, or a preschool teacher looked at um, a bunch of language, uh, language development models um, and studies and assessments, put them all in a blender, and we made a, just a list of like, these are the, in, in order, this is sort of the, what language development, early language development looks like in a very refined sense. Some of the tests that you do are not refined enough to see the, the little growth that's happening. Um, so that has, that has, that could be something where you look at something like that and go, okay, we're going to do this for this sample size of students at the beginning of the year and the end, end of the year. Yeah. And did that, did we see growth, you know, and again, it's not going to measure whether specific language system first approach is working, but it will measure if your whole program is working. Right. Yeah. yeah that's the key, right? There's, there's always, there's always those variables. You just, you can't take out, right? Again, we're not, you know, we're not a medical model. So, you know, there's always going to be shifting staff and, you know, uh, school shutdowns and, you know, you never know. Right. So, yeah. you know, I, but it, it, it is worth looking at certain data. I, I agree. Yeah. Cool. Is there anything else I can? No, 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 no. That, that's, that's great, man. I, I really appreciate it. Um, I'm just, uh, I just have to kind of, you know, digest uh, a lot of these things that we, we chatted about and um, you know, that, that sale starts tomorrow. So um, I'm gonna. I know I'm on it too. So yeah, we're 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 ready to go. I got I got I got tech, you know, 
ready to hit the buy button. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're good to go. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, whether we, whether we implement the system or not, um, we're still going to get the licenses. So I think that's always like a, a huge, uh, a huge bone for, for a district when, when we can have, you know, extra um, AAC and as opposed to, you know, fighting for it. I, I read some of these Facebook comments and I'm just like, it just, you know, it, it, it makes me sad for some of these uh, districts who, you know, these providers, right, who have to fight with their admin to, to get in. And I'm just in a really lucky position where, you know, I have a, I have a pretty supportive um, admin, pretty supportive, you know, pretty tech savvy district, you know, and, and it's just, um, I, I just feel very lucky. Yeah, so. clearly. I mean, your admin came to you and said, hey, what if we just gave everybody this first? Right? Like that was their idea. So that's, um, yeah, we, that's, yeah, we're, we, we have a very, very uh, thoughtful director who wants a voice for everyone. I mean, she said that, right? We want, we want, we need to make sure that all kids have a way to communicate. And so I was like, oh, great. Well, sold. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be people, people listening to this going, Hey, are they hiring over there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's not a huge turnover. So, um, you know, people, people who come tend to stay. So it's, it's good. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Hey, this was great chatting with you. Yeah, if other questions pop up. Don't hesitate to reach out. Don't be a stranger. Let me know a year from now, you know, as this goes yeah. out, let's, let's get back together and hear the feedback. So we've been doing this for a year now and here's some lessons learned. I wish I had, why didn't you tell me, Chris, this was going to happen? You know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll let you know. I, I think it's going to work well, but um, you know, I got to put some things in place and we'll hopefully get it started, you know, in the fall. So we'll see. Sounds great. All right. Well, best of luck. All right. Thanks a lot. I appreciate your time. Bye-bye now. All right. Bye-bye.